Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs and my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and my companions stand aloof from my plate, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, and they are, they are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, in salvation. Thank you, Claire, for reading God's word for us. And thank you, Eugene, Joy, and Daniel, for your part in today's worship service. And a special thanks to Stanley for editing and putting this video together. Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. Welcome to this first Sunday of Singapore entering phase two of our country's gradual reopening as part of the response to COVID-19. The pastors and elders are discussing the next steps forward for us as a church in phase two. We'll be sending out an announcement through the Grace E-News mailing list and putting on our website this coming week. So please look out for it. If you have yet to sign up for Grace E-News, please do so, as this is one of the main means in which we can stay connected as to what is going on in the church. But I am excited and happy. There is now a possibility that some of us can meet in person. And I miss you all, church. It's also wonderful that we can gather online today to receive God's word together. Let us pray as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. Let us pray. Father God, open our eyes to behold the wonders in your word. May we be changed by an extraordinary sight of your glory shown in Jesus Christ. Draw us to turn in faith to Jesus Christ so that as a church, we will display your glory to the nations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. My friends, have you ever lost sleep because of grief over a wrong you committed? 
Or perhaps you experience physical symptoms like discomfort in your stomach over the guilt of your sin. For example, you get headaches and a heaviness in your heart because of regrets for your undeserved anger towards your children in a family fight. Or you get gastric problems over your continual bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone whom you felt either rightly or wrongly had wronged you. And I know this because I struggled with this personally before. Or you get insomnia over your guilt over your ongoing struggle with sexual sin. You struggle with sin guilt and it weighs heavily on you. My friends, what does the Bible say is the solution to your sin guilt? How can you overcome your sin guilt? Psalm 38 gives us the answer. We are taking a four weeks break from our series in the Gospel of Luke as we look at Psalm 38 to 41 for the next few Sundays. Before we look specifically at Psalm 38, some thoughts on how we should approach the Psalms in general. Firstly, the Psalms are meant to teach and instruct us about God, human nature, and life. Psalms are instructional. Secondly, because Psalms are poems, they are also intended to stir up the affections of our hearts. Finally, Psalms are inspired by God. They are God's words to His people. They are not just the words of the psalmist, but the words of God. So when we read, study, pray, and sing the psalms, our minds and our hearts, our thinking and our feeling are being shaped by God. Most of all, these psalms we shall be covering expresses the psalmist, and as we appropriate the words for our own, expresses our radical dependence on God. Back to Psalm 38. Look with me at what was written before verse 1. A psalm of David for the memorial offering. It tells us that this psalm was written by David. David was a man who knew about sin and suffering. Psalm 38 is the third of seven penitential psalms. These are psalms of confession and sorrow for sin. These psalms are important because they show us how to confess our sin. David composed this song prayer so that the people of God undergoing suffering could use this psalm to express their pain, their trust, their repentance, and their plea. Psalm 38 is an intensely personal plea for forgiveness. David put into words what we are feeling and teaches us how to come to God. So when we are overwhelmed with guilt, we can turn to one of these penitential psalms and make the words our own. The title also tells us that the psalm has to do with the memorial offering. Okay? And the memorial offering is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 2. This offering likely refers to the portion of the grain offering that the priest burns on the altar. Its purpose was probably to remind God that the worshipper had offered these gifts of God's abundant provision back to him. It was to plead for God to remember the worshipper before him. To ask God to remember is to ask God to act on your behalf. So Psalm 38 is a plea for God to remember forgiveness. And verse 1 starts with a plea from a heart that is in anguish. 
It was my first exam after 10 years. I was in seminary and I needed to take an exam for my Old Testament class. I prepared diligently for it and I really thought I was ready. I went into the classroom, I sat down and I realized my hands were cold but I was sweating. My heart was beating so fast that I could almost hear it pumping and I felt a knot in my stomach. The stress of the exam and my own heart's anxiety had translated into physical symptoms. There's often a link between our thoughts, our emotions, and how our body is feeling. In this first eight verses of Psalm 38, the burden of David's sin weighed down on him. God's discipline of David's sin felt heavy, and David was showing the outward physical symptoms of his inner struggle with his sin guilt. So follow with me in your Bibles as we look at verses 1 to 8. Verse 1 starts with a plea. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. This prayer psalm began with a plea for God's wrath to be withdrawn. We see this in verse 1. David recognized his own sinfulness. God is serious about sin and is not pleased with human sin. God is right to be angry at David's sin. And David, we see here, did not make any excuses for himself, but he pleaded with God not to overly punish him. David pleaded with God because God's arrow, God's arrows have sunk into him and God's hand had come down on David. We see this in verse 2. God's discipline felt like arrows piercing deep into David. He felt the heaviness of God's hand of punishment on him. As a result, David cried out, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. There was a rapid decline of David's health. He felt physical symptoms as a result of God's discipline. David felt outer physical pain and decline. Not only that, David continued in verse 4. For my iniquities have, has, have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. David acknowledged that his sins, my iniquities, lie behind the suffering that he is facing. David's iniquities, his sin and wrongdoing had finally caught up with him and washed over his head like waves. They weigh down heavily on David. David is feeling the psychological torment of sin guilt. David was wrecked inside and out, physically, emotionally, and mentally. I want to be careful here, my friends. Not all troubles we face result from one's own sins. Some troubles come to us simply because we, li we live in a fallen world. Some troubles come to us because of someone else's sin against us. But in this particular psalm, this psalm targets those suffering that results from our own sin. And after a general description of David's experience, verses 5 to 8 gives us specific details of David's physical condition. Verse 5, My wounds sting and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sights are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble 
and crushed. I groaned because of the tumult of my heart. There were physical consequences of David's sin guilt. And what physical consequences David faced? Verse 5 used language that almost picture a bad gangrene infection. David wounds or sores emitted a foul smell. They smell bad. And David is bowed down and flat on his face. We see this in verse 6. He experienced pain in the stomach area, verse 7. As David experienced God's discipline, he acknowledged the suffering is a consequence of his personal sin and folly. David is in this state because of his own foolishness. We see this in verse 5. Because my friends, sin makes us stupid. David felt weak and crushed in spirit. He felt the anguish in his heart because of his sin. Verse 8. He can only respond with groans and sighs. Verse 6. These verses taken in totality gives us a picture of a man suffering on the inside and out because of God's discipline on his sin. My friends, God's discipline has driven David to acknowledge his sins and subsequently in the verses that follow to confess and plead for forgiveness. God's discipline is actually God's grace to us. We should welcome a godly rebuke when it is deserved. For God is our Father who disciplines us as His children for our good to teach us and train us. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. If you are going through some sickness or suffering, is it possible that God is disciplining you for your sin, just like He did with David? He may be heavy upon you so that you will deal with unconfessed sin. Or maybe, just maybe, He's pushing you finally to break a pattern of disobedience in your life. If this is the case, I think you can trust the Holy Spirit to make this plain to you through God's Word. And you can trust that the community of faith can also help you in this respect. You should read God's Word and examine your heart and ask counsel from trusted friends from church. So are we resisting God's gracious discipline in some area of our life, some areas of our lives? God disciplines us because He loves us and desires to bring us to repentance. Ask yourself, am I resisting God's gracious discipline? What sins do I have to come clean with and confess before God? If God is dealing with your sin, He wants you to know what He is doing and He will make it clear. But my friends, remember this. Your sickness and suffering may have nothing to do with your sin at all. That there are any number of good plans that God could be working on. Ultimately, you need to trust that our loving God knows what He is doing. And how can you know that God is what God is doing is good for you? Because God has given Jesus as your propitiation. Through His death on the cross on our behalf, Jesus has made God look upon us you with favor. By faith, you know that God is for you and that everything He does to you and allows in your life is for your good, especially His discipline. We see this in Romans 8.28. So you can be confident as you pray with David, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, because God's wrath has already been poured on Jesus on our behalf. And any discipline that God gives you 
only comes from His love and is for your good. When I was struggling with my sin of bitterness and unforgiveness and experiencing God's hand of discipline, I became what many of our Malay friends would call orang sensitive itu, a sensitive man. Not sensitive as in empathetic or kind, but sensitive in that I took offense at every perceived slight, real or imaginary, from the person I struggled with. When our own sensation of sin guilt is heightened, we often become overly sensitive. Every word of attack or criticism, however innocuous it may be, can seem to be true. Often the awareness of our sin seems to lead to an attack from without, real or imaginary. As a result, you can feel incredibly alone. This is also the experience of David as we read from verses 9 to 14. And what a wonderful book the Bible is. Not only do we read and interpret the Bible, the Bible reads and interprets us and makes sense of our experiences. Verses 9 to 10, David has no strength in himself. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. In English, we have the expression, the light seemed to have gone off inside someone. As we look into their eyes, the life is gone. Yes, heart, strength, and light are gone. You are a lonely and broken-hearted sinner. But God knows your heart desire. And He hears your sighs. David longs for everything to be alright again, for life to go back to the way it was. Now just as how we felt during the circuit breaker. He longs for health and well-being and for God's discipline to end. And as he opens his heart to God, he confesses that he is powerless to heal himself. His strength fails, verse 10. David here demonstrates for us dependent faith in God. We are sinners who sin and we cannot help ourselves. Our only hope is in the one who can save us. David friend, David's friends have failed him too and did not help him. Instead, he is surrounded by enemies. Verse 11 and 12. My friends and companions stand aloof for my plague, and my nearest kin stands far off. Those who seek my life lay their stairs. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. As Bible teacher and commentator Jared Wilson writes, this is a picture of rejection and isolation. This was fulfilled in Jesus' life when he went to the cross. His disciples have all fled. Even Peter, who vowed that he would stay with him, fled. Luke tells us that when Jesus died, all his friends and followers stood at a distance, watching what happened to him. We see this in Luke 23, verse 42, 49. Luke was probably alluding to Psalm 38, 11, when he wrote this verse. David's friends have abandoned him. Even his closest family member stands at a distance, verse 11. And his enemies lay traps for him. They speak gleefully of his downfall and they plan treachery, verse 12. Talk about kicking a man when he's down. 
My friends, we sometimes feel like we have been abandoned too, right? Just when we needed our friends the most, the people we thought we could count on have drifted away. And in our battle moments, we give them benefit of doubt, we think to ourselves that maybe people simply don't know what to say. But we are alone and it hurts. So it's good to know that David felt this way. And it's also good to know that Jesus felt this way too. Jesus was alone, bearing his cross on the way to Mount Golgotha. And Jesus will never leave us alone. In his loneliness, David felt himself isolated from the world, like a deaf or mute person. Verses 13 to 14. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, in whose mouth are no rebukes. It's probably because he's being shunned by friend and foe, so that David hears little and is kept from speaking. And part of the reason also stems from David's desire to be alone in his depression. Isn't it the same for us? When our hearts are crushed, we often want to turn into ourselves and be left alone. But it is times like this that we need the soothing balm of the grace of community. So struggling Christian, don't self-isolate. Circuit breaker is over. Allow for the church community to minister and care for you. And for the rest of us church, this should remind us not to leave a brother or sister alone when he or she is struggling. We may want to pull back because we don't know what to say. We are uncomfortable. We may want to pull back because we know and believe that the believer is suffering the consequences for his or her sin. We may be worried what people will think or say if we reach out to him or her. Just don't be like Job's friends. We don't need to give answers as if we know exhaustively what God is doing. We just need to be there for our struggling brother or sister. However, in our Asian context, and even in our church, some of, some of us have the tendency to go in the other direction. We tend to minimize sin and not lovingly confront our brother or sister who is sinning. Look at Psalm 38. Psalm 38 tells us that by not acknowledging or confessing our sins, this will lead to turmoil in our hearts, minds, and bodies. Then loving our friend means we ought to gently lead him on the path of repentance. We can be examples of God's forgiveness demonstrated among our church community. Examples who can encourage those with hidden sin to acknowledge their need for con confession, their acknowledge their need for confession and restoration. So my friends, ask yourself, how can I help others to see God's call to turn in repentance? And how can I help those who are struggling to overcome their sin? Alcoholics Anonymous is an international fellowship of men and women who have had a drinking problem. Its webpage says that they are non-professional, self-supporting, multiracial, apolitical, and available almost everywhere. Its foundation when it started was Christian. In fact, Step 5 of the Alcoholic Anonymous says, Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. That's 
biblical confession. And the phrase, the phrase used in 12-step circles is also true. We are, we are only as sick as our secrets. In verses 15 to 22, David came before God, came clean and confessed his sin. David placed his trust in God who can help him in verse 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. No, we have all waited in queue. Waiting is hard to do. Even for a Singaporean foodie like myself, I don't enjoy standing in a queue that is more than like 10, 15 minutes long. And waiting on God is one of the hardest tests of faith there is. Does God know? Does He see? Does He even care? Nothing is happening. Will God do anything? David then strengthens his faith by giving the reasons why he knows God will act. Verses 16 to 20. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good, accuse me because I follow after good. The word for in verse 16 tells us that David is explaining why he knows God will answer. And David gives five reasons in these verses. First, God will answer because his enemies should not and ought not to boast over him. Verse 16. See, David was God's anointed king. If David's enemies boasted over him, they will boast over God who committed himself to David. God's glory is on the line. God is jealous for his glory and David knows God will answer to defend his glory. Second, David has already slipped. We see in verse 17, he's about to fall. If God waits any longer, it will be too late. David is pleading with God to act now to rescue him. Thirdly, David has confessed his sin. He is not hiding anything from God. We see this in verse 18. I have confessed, or I confess my iniquity. I'm, I am sorry for my sin. David, David's words here recall his words in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, where David says, I've sinned against the Lord. And in Psalm 51, verse 4, against you, referring to God, against you, you only have I sinned. David realized that ultimately sin is an offense against God. Even if there seem to be no consequences right now, it is still sin, and it should still trouble the believer. God's discipline has done what it was supposed to do to David, bringing David to this realization that he is ultimately sinning against God, and bringing David to subsequently confess to God. Fourth, David's enemies were strong. They were many, and David were, was alone. He is wrong, he cannot help himself. He's desperate, and only God can defend him. Finally, they hate David because of his good, verse 20, and godly life. His enemies repaid evil for his good. David is pleading for God's justice and for God's vindication. And David lays these reasons before God 
knowing that God and trusting that God will answer him. And he lays his reason to strengthen his faith. David closed with a final plea for God to help him. He pleaded for God to deliver rather than abandon. Verses 21 to 22. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. At the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that we never, we would never be forsaken. Jesus was rejected and alone so that we never be rejected and alone. Since God poured his wrath on Jesus Christ and the cross for our sins, we know that God is for us. God has made haste to help us even before we knew we needed him. God is truly our salvation. My friends, as long as we refuse to acknowledge our sin, we feed the fear that controls us and allow fear to work in destructive ways in our life. Confessing our sin to God and to even a single trustworthy person can have this effect of removing the power our secrets will over us. For First John uh, 1 John 1.9 tells us, If we confess our sins, He, meaning God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This does not mean that the consequences set in motion by our sinful actions can always be fully avoided. We may still have, have to restore what we have taken and make restitution. We may still deal with the destructive results of adulterous affair and work long and hard to rebuild lost trust in our marriage. But confession can remove the fear of discovery and enable us and it will enable us to accept the forgiveness of God and begin the process of restoration. So my friends, if you have any unconfessed sin, I urge you to not only confess it before God, but to find someone in church whom you trust and perhaps confess that to him as well. And to my non-Christian friends who are visiting with us uh, for this online service, David's source of refuge is ours as well. The God who saves us, who loves as he knows, is best. Even if it means bringing discipline. Trusting that God will help and deliver, David ends Psalm 38 on a hopeful, though desperate note. You see this in verses 21 to 22. Calling God to help and save him. My non-Christian friends, we today can similarly call on God to help and deliver us from our sins. Though, and we need not be anxious as to whether God will answer us. For we see Jesus Christ himself, God incarnate, come to earth, dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. God has drawn near in the person of his own son. So my non-Christian friends, you can confidently place your trust in the good news of Jesus Christ. If this is what you desire, then you can drop us an email using the QR code for the pastoral prayer. And we will be glad to connect with you, and perhaps speak with you, and even pray for you. My beloved family and friends in Christ, we cannot help ourselves to bring relief to our sin guilt. We cannot rescue ourselves from our sins. So we confess our sins and plead with God 
the God of justice and mercy, for help. We radically depend on God to save. God in Jesus Christ, who alone is our help, our hope, and our Savior. Let us pray. Father God, empty and desperate we come to you, depending on you alone to deliver. For you alone are our hope and salvation. Lord, we confess our sins. We acknowledge our wrongdoings. We plead with you, our faithful and just God. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. Deliver us from our burden of sin. Allow us once again to delight in the joy of your salvation. We ask and pray this in Christ Jesus' most precious name. Amen.